0: It's an interesting balance between establishing yourself as, a, as an authority and not being authoritarian so that they know that you're approachable enough that if they have a question or if they don't want to say something in front of their peers, they want to talk to you afterwards, that you're approach, approachable enough for them to do that. Welcome to Classical Etc.
1: You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. Where today we're going to talk about going back to school. Have you all heard about the experience that JCPS has had? That is the Louisville Public Schools. No, I saw that they were out of school today and
2: tomorrow because did they did they not get kids home well last night? Some kids
1: didn't get to school until after school was over.
2: (sighs) No way.
1: That's what I heard. They weren't on the bus. They just canceled school today to try to figure out. There's a bus a bus driver shortage and this is always a problem in Louisville but it was really bad. And so oh no! They're trying to sort okay, that so out. Okay,
2: so epic fail first day. We'll try again next <laughs> that's week. Right,
3: that's right. Well, it's I not know. like it was ever a How success awful. for any other reason anyway.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I did see a headline that some kids like didn't get to home until 9 p.m. Right. Oh, that's what I, heard.
2: I remember another year that happened. That was awful. I mean, yeah. if my child had been on a school bus <laughs> until 9 o'clock at night, I would have been at the superintendent's house. <laughs> And I know he's not immediately responsible, but uh, yeah. um, but it's like the first week of school here when we there upstairs are bumps when we the road. when we look out on Shelbyville Road, in one of the main roads in Louisville, one of the main thoroughfares, and our carpool is backed up on the Shelbyville Road for as far as you can see. Oh, out our window,
1: Mr. Wheelie said they're going to be finishing the seventh and eighth grade classrooms during morning assembly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> before and, the students walk up there. And so there is, is no
2: air conditioning at this point. Oh. oh, they're working on it. It's a hot mess down they're there. They're working on it mm-hmm. now.
1: What I want to talk about is starting off your school year well. <laughs> <laughs> before we get there,
2: well, you know what? I think we always start it well, but and we we'll, we can talk about this, but. um, it's just those little logistical things yeah. that get in the way like air conditioning and right. the floor's not we don't and, actually and, have a floor in the cafeteria at oh, this moment but and those things are great for stories they they're are great for stories but they're so. it's a little nerve-wracking right now to look around and think huh <laughs> we have a week
1: martin before we talk we tell the stories i want to ask you what, what have you been reading recently
3: uh, I'm. I've gone back. And this is because um, at Memorial College we have our Dust Jacket podcast, which we're we're about to do another one. It's basically we take a book, talk about it. Uh, Professor Scheffler and I, and we are doing a book that I I never really finished, uh, and I'm glad I have an excuse to finish it now. Uh, Jacques Barzun's "From Dawn to Decadence: mm. A History mm. of the Last Five Hundred Years," and <clears throat> When you're reading it, you realize that you're in the hands of this great humanities scholar. I mean, one of the greatest who ever lived. This guy was so widely learned and he was such a great writer. And he, you know, he knew history, he knew literature, he knew teaching and education. I use a couple of his books in um in my classical pedagogy class mm. at the college. And um and so, and my, and my students love him because he's so clear. He's just a master of clear. And he wrote books on clear writing. Um, and so, uh, so it's I'm I'm going through the Reformation right now, and and he's just got this. It, it's not exhaustive. He's not getting down into the nitty all the mm-hmm. nitty gritty details, but he'll pick out anecdotes and and stories throughout this thing, and and he, it, it's just. Every every sentence is interesting.
2: And it's so it's very readable accessible. Oh, it's very readable. It's it's
3: yeah, it's not it's not I've got it, profession. but I
2: haven't read it. I mm. just got it, I think, because there was such a shortage of them that whenever I found <laughs> it, I was like it was like gold to me.
3: Well, what what Tanya is referring to is is a number of years ago there was a there was an independent bookseller here in town and they had a great uh, bargain books thing out front. When and a lot of it was the cutout. So when publishers are coming in with their paperbacks, they they just sell the hardbacks real cheap to um, bookstores, and they and they sell them for real cheap. So they had a whole uh, several stacks of From Dawn to Decadence hardbacks, really nice hardbacks there. So I was at the time doing conventions, and I was doing our booth, and I would have other books there. So I bought them for the. For the for the booth. And then they had a book club <laughs> that they were they wanted to read it and they couldn't because find any copies. You
2: highly recommended it.
3: Because I recommended it, but they couldn't and find it. And then there was not
2: them. one in Louisville. Yeah. Not a book in Louisville. We could not even find it. So then one day when I did find it, years later, I thought, Oh, here's this book. I need to get it because it's so hard to find and they're all in martin's house
1: (laughs) (laughs) they're still in a box this is is what we call marketing (laughs) the scarcity complex
2: that's exactly right you didn't mention the other book you're reading
1: what other book am i reading the one that we're just discussed for 15 minutes
3: Oh, well, I know. Well, I've discussed that 15 times here, I think, because I've been <laughs> reading it. For, I've been trying to read it. <laughs> but or, you're still but, reading it. Yeah. The Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers. Yeah. Yes, The Three Musketeers.
2: And I started it because they were reading it, and I thought I didn't want to be left off the bandwagon. Yeah. So now you need to I reread read it. I <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> <laughs> After you all need the bad reviews. Even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yet. I'm no. only 60 pages in. You guys so. haven't
1: exactly given longer reviews either.
2: I know, not yet. You know, but, but but we had this
0: conversation, it. I think on the podcast where I said it doesn't, it doesn't match up nearly to the Count of Monte Cristo. But like, if you want a good adventure story, it's good. Well, I went back and I, I listened to the whole thing and I realized at the end there's... Recently? Th- yeah, within yeah he the past, just: oh, did. that's uh, why I picked it weeks. up well, yeah. because
2: he changed his tune. I didn't Well hold on, hold on. I, I
0: I modify I did I modified my tune. It's the same tune, but it's modified. okay
3: <laughs> <laughs> It's the same tune, but it's got a different melody. <laughs> no
0: no, no no, same melody, just slightly different you know like it's again still not nearly as good as Cam Cristo and and but it does deal with some some great ideas. You got to get to the end though. That I think are worth discussing.
2: Okay. So w- after we read The Count of Monte Cristo, I loved it so much. I said, I've got The Three Musketeers. I think I'll read th- that. This is years ago. And Paul said, It's not near as good. I think you said, Don't waste your time. I p- might have. Yes. And so I just left it on my shelf and I didn't read it. And then all of a sudden he's reading it and he's like, I really like this book. And I said, no, wait a minute. You talked me out of reading it. And maybe after The Count of Monte Cristo, I really might have just, mm-hmm. because at, even the first 50 pages in, I'm thinking, this is no Monte Cristo. It is not jumping in yep. like that book jumped in. Yeah. So I, the thing that about Dumas that I read in the introduction to the book that I'm actually reading, and the introduction was written by Pavir, the translator, is that somebody else wrote with him, but the publisher wouldn't give that person credit for it because he was an unknown. Mm. And so Dumas didn't really write this book or Monte Cristo by himself, Oh, interesting! I, it's there's this whole story in there that I didn't know, and this it's other- probably
3: more interesting than the book
0: itself. <laughs> oh, come on, Martin!
2: <laughs> okay, you've got to get through it, and then we'll have a final because that does mm. happen where you just think this isn't worth reading, but then mm. by the end, yeah. Right. And,
3: and I, you know, I have a list of books on on my my computer that I want to have read you know,
2: before you die,
3: before I die, <laughs> um, or get
2: Alzheimer's and can't remember uh, that you've read well, how to read.
3: Yeah. And this one would have been better done later after I'd gotten the, Alzheimer's. but, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, but I, you know, there are, there are books on there that you have to trudge through, but they're so influential. I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> there were, I remember Saturday morning cartoons in, in the in the 60s and 70s on the Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Was, oh, yes. It was just hugely popular. Yes. And I don't know. And, and, and I also think it's a book that was written in a time when people had a lot more time.
2: And wouldn't it be mm-hmm. nice to know if it um, influenced your Sabatini that you love mm. so much?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know when each was writing. I assume Dumas was before. Oh, oh Dumas was way way.
2: After.
3: Okay, yeah, Subtees yeah. in the in the thirties.
2: Dumas was way early. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah, right. late sixteen hundreds. No, 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 no.
0: Because the Count of Monte Cristo happens after Napoleon.
2: Oh no, it's yeah, just 1800s. that this book is yeah. set. This book is set a couple hundred yeah. years earlier. Well, I'm sure.
3: I'm sure he probably read it then. But um, you know, I mean, there was a lot of adventure books back written. Yeah, written there were a lot of adventure
0: books. So. Um. before we move on I was going to say I started reading after the, th- the Three Musketeers I started reading Cloud Cuckoo Land mm-hmm. I've and heard of this um, I've heard of that Josie too. Stamps recommended it to me or mm. at, well hold on I don't think she recommended it I think she said I need somebody to read it and discuss it because I don't really know what to think about it mm. but in some ways I feel like I'm not necessarily educated enough to understand it <laughs> oh wow, in the sense that it is there are clear references going on to Aristophanes in the Greek plays that I do not know well enough mm. I think to understand oh, you should what ask he's going on to read it he should read it, he should read it but it, but it, but then you've got these weird contrast between like something that's clearly harkening back to that and then sort of like a utterly modern style um in certain segments of the book. So he's constantly flipping back and forth between like, I think a couple of different centuries. And then, and and when he's writing in today, it's super modern. And when he's writing the older, I, I got the feeling at one point that I was like reading, um, Laris or, um, the, one of those, the Russian, a Russian mm-hmm. novel. That's really, was really intentionally trying to get you into medieval Russia and then, and then I have this ultra modern sort of American, it's, it's really interesting, but. It was, uh, it was well reviewed. Cloud Cuckoo Land? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, the jury's out for me. Well,
3: and there's I'm another book it. he wrote that was pretty popular. Uh, um, All the Light You Cannot See. All the See. Light You Cannot
0: See.
2: Oh, wait. that's yes, that I, he's, no. he's, he's, That was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That oh, is it Anthony DeWar. That was Anthony Dore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is. yeah. Oh, so it's, is it, fic- it's fiction. It's fiction. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I really liked all the light you can see. Well, cannot a lot of it was good. I still, I am red either, but yeah. Mm, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. And so I, but this one is more difficult. I, well, or I, you just, I feel like you I, don't know the illusions. I don't necessarily
0: know the illusions. Um, and I can't really tell where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like all the light you cannot see, you could see that better. Oh yeah, um, I felt
2: like it wasn't a complicated <laughs> <good> story. <one. laughs> Thank you. Um, totally
0: and, and maybe maybe I would I would be doing better in this book if I were sitting down and reading it rather than listening to it. Mm. The, I think that's one of those there books, are some books that are that, that you have to yeah, read. that that would be a
3: you whole have to look great at the topic words.
0: for
3: is 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 the these M- books that some are reading. better read yes some are better some you just to, need to are, read yeah. you
2: just need to go through the words more slowly mm-hmm. at your pace mm-hmm. and there are some places where you need to reread a mm-hmm. paragraph mm-hmm. and you can't with an audio book it just keeps going that's right that's right no, I get,
3: you get frustrated if, yes. if you're listening to it and you need to do
2: that would you like to tell us what you're well, reading
1: well my reading habits of late have been a story of polar opposites so there's this one author and I'm almost hesitant to say his name and I'm not going to say the name of the book <laughs> that we, he was recommended to me well I, I you see his name a lot and I'm going to say it maybe we can take it out If I move that
3: uh, that we we, uh, we require him to say
1: what? well books. it's Larry Larry McMurtry <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: uh, sure yeah, yeah, so yes. I recommend it as a great Southern author. Pick up one of his books.
2: Okay. And I'm which like two thirds of the
1: way through. I don't think I could say. Which which book? I'm not sure is, if I should say Is it Lonesome
3: Dove? Is it? Uh, not Lonesome Dove.
2: Is it a, the, like the last Yeah, the, the last, last picture one he, show.
1: Oh, oh, the last okay. picture no, show. i I've read that. I read that a couple years ago. That's not yeah. a great So start. juvenile. So juvenile. It, and, and I feel like his characterization is good. I Obviously, the sense of place is good but his fixation <laughs> with just like juvenile aspects of yeah. of coming of age uh, i find you should
2: read Blount some dove not very good
3: well okay the, i think i think the last picture show shows up his weak uh, larry mcmurtry's weakness right because a lot of people have seen uh, the, <laughs> a lot of people have seen the, menu. no, I mean. You didn't want of, to
0: share who you were reading, so well, we could tell
3: mean, you. Well, Murtry is an important writer. He was, he was in Wendell Berry's class at, at, at Stanford. Uh, at Stanford. Under Wallace Stegner. Under Wallace Stegner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, he Ernest, and Wallace Stegner. Ernest Gaines and, and Ken class. Kesey. Ken Kesey. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, he's an important author, but, uh, the re, and I, t- I've, I don't remember who I told this, but we were talking about, uh. Larry McMurtry and the Lonesome Dove uh, series of books. I've read one or two of those and I read the last picture show, had the same reaction you did. But the problem with Larry McMurtry is he's not is his world is not a moral world. There is no morality behind it. And and it comes out in what happens in the books, which is why they're they're You know, we're not recommending that you read (laughs) McMurtry McMurtry, because, um, I mean, he's a good storyteller, but I, I, the, I, when I'm reading a book, uh, is so why I like a Tolstoy or something like that because there—that is a moral world. There are rules that you cannot violate, and the characters and may, may violate
2: them. And but, they, they may right.
3: They may
1: violate, but them. the rules are there. Right. But here, there's no rules. <laughs> I feel like Lakers. that about no *Gatsby*.
2: Rules. There are no rules.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of like that? art is really the artist kind of showing what they enjoy, and not that sometimes. <laughs> you know, objectionable material comes in because it's, it's another way to say what you're saying is that it is a part of the greater good of the story that is without darkness. There is no light, but occasionally you read a book where it's like, this guy just has fascinations that I don't have and that are problematic to me. And that fixation I think can be really problematic in in a lot of modern art. And so I, I, I guess I probably started at the, the worst possible place with McMurtry, but I had heard him compared to other great Southern art authors which sounds like mm-hmm. you guys are, agree that he is a great southern author so i guess i'll just
2: well find a different i point. don't yeah. i mean i haven't chosen to read everything he's written he's not my favorite but i do think you know he was part of that class that yeah. it, i'm just amazed that i mean i think wallace stegner is worth reading absolutely who yeah. yeah. taught them mm-hmm. but just to have that many people in one writing class and they stuck together all those years you know Wendell was writing to Ernie Gaines until he died. He was writing to McMurtry until he died. Um, Ken Kesey, it, they all of those guys who managed to be published and have professional careers writing is, I think, Stegner's the.
1: It has to be genius. I mean, yeah, <laughs>
2: like how did he do that? It's not
1: an accident, right? So that's the one thing that I, I picked that up on an airplane because I was just looking for something on the plane to read the other book i've been reading i met this guy named derek on the road and he sells like religious art to schools <laughs> and we were ch- chatting having great conversations and he hands me this he walks by me and hands me this his card on the back of it it's written ascetical theology Adolf Tanqueray. he's like you need to read this book based on our conversations i'm like oh okay so i got it and i started reading it and it's really it's really interesting <laughs> is it yeah, but I you know I like that kind of it's nonfiction. fiction oh, yeah. say, say
3: that slowly again. ascetical <laughs> theology. By Adolf Tanqueray Tanqueray. Yeah. I have not heard of that one.
1: Yeah. Is okay. it is that a recent book? 1930s, I think.
2: Depends on, you know, in the classical world, yes. <laughs>
0: this is this is ringing bells that I but I don't know what bells are ringing. We have to go look that up afterwards. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. It's interesting. But enough about that. <laughs> The school year is starting and students will be coming to this campus pretty soon. Tanya, when you think about the start of school, what were the things that made you excited for your first day as a teacher? You were both a homeschool mom teacher and a teacher in the classroom. What were the things that made you excited or the things that made you apprehensive about that first day?
2: Well, the first year, everything made me apprehensive and nothing made me excited (laughs) until the end of the first day when I thought this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. Um, but after that, it, it was just for teachers. Teachers tend to be very organized people and they love office supplies. So, I mean, just even getting your classroom together at home and in school was exciting to me. And then I don't having, remember that part of it. I don't either. I'm
0: sitting here going, <laughs> definitely not um, one of my top things.
2: I think, well, maybe it's just. Lower school teachers. teachers, I don't know, but it's it's just really an exciting thing to get it all ready and um, to get all those supplies that you need and get your classroom ready. It's a lot of work too, and it's stressful if you can't get into your classroom. But, um, and even at home to go through last year's books, because generally I would just throw last year's books in a bin and just be sick of it and not look at them again. And then all of a sudden, it's time to start. So you have to start. You have to get that organized in order to know what you need. So there's all of that that is exciting and intimidating Mm -hmm. and stressful. But um, once the students come into the classroom and you get started with them and start getting to know them, I always started with a little talk to them, even though I was teaching fifth and sixth grade they were trained basically unless i had new students which i always had some but i would give you know talk to them about how we were going to be a community because at our school the teacher teaches every single subject mm-hmm. so you literally have this little class of students that's yours all year long and so it's just it's a magical time and they're excited they're a little intimidated um Especially, I had a reputation for being a difficult teacher. So, <laughs> I don't know that they were all excited about being in my class at the beginning.
1: No, Paul, since you feel, feel neither joy nor apprehension ever, what was your first days of school huh. like? Are you a stoic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here smiling, so I, I
0: suppose I feel something.
2: Um, well, you're getting ready what, to have a first day yeah, of what, school. What was the question, Shane? What, what's intimidating <laughs> about it, and what, is, what are you excited about? When you walk into those students. Okay. In a week. So this
0: year, so this is my, this is the second year I'll be teaching juniors, right? Mm -hmm. Second time in my life I'm teaching juniors. And there's something about the upper high school where you're like, you, you know that they're, they're old enough and smart enough to have their own opinions. And so as much as I don't care about what other people think about me, there is a little nagging part of me in the back. Like, okay, okay. You know, these kids are going to go home and talk about me, right? Like, I don't care what the fourth grader says or the seventh grader says when I get home. But the junior, there's a little bit more weight there.
3: Um, You're talking about establishing your superiority. Well, and so
0: that's, that's so what I have done and what I intend to do is, you know, just start off with, and I did this with seventh graders too. I'd be like, everybody's seventh grade and up needs it is you're adults here. I'm not treating you. I'm not handholding you. Mm. I am not, you know, especially with juniors, like this is, I'm going to tell you what the best way is to be successful. It's up to you, whether you do it or not, you know, happy to fail you. It's true at that point. <laughs> um, and that's establishing my superiority right there. There you go. You know, Happy to fail you anytime I can. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting balance between, establishing yourself as a, as an authority and not being authoritarian right? so that they know that you're approachable enough that if they have a question or if they, you know, they, they don't want to say something in front of their peers, they want to talk to you afterwards that you're approach approachable mm-hmm. enough for them to
1: do that. Right. How have you tried to like, do you have strategies for navigating that tension of approachability and superiority? Uh,
2: Cheryl always said, don't smile till Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't remember that one. Oh yeah, yeah, she did. She did used to say that. Um, <laughs> well, I it was tongue in cheek. She didn't really mean not to smile yeah. until Christmas. Yeah, but she did mean gravitas. Mm-hmm. You've got to start out with gravitas because if you don't, once you've then you can loosen up. But if you don't start with that serious, this is serious. This is your job. You're here to do a mm-hmm. job. I'm going to do my job. Then once you lose it. <laughs> it's very hard to get that respect that yeah. you need.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I just being human. I mean, I don't really know. Like I don't have, there's no gimmick on that. Like you have to be an authentic human being that, that, you know, shares, you care, shows, you care about them, but also establishes you as the authority, <laughs> right? No. You're the leader.
1: No. Now, Martin, you have the word ritual written, written on your piece of paper underlined, and that seems very deep to me. Explain that.
3: Well, <clears throat> glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, and this is one of the things I think that Highlands Latin School does so well is is ritual. It, it's, it, it's a marker. It, 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 we begin our school year with a, a ritual we have programs uh, at, at important points in the Christian year, um, uh, Christmas and some other times, and at the end of the school. So we have a beginning of school ceremony. We have an end of school ceremony. And it's like, everyone has to sit and think about this is very, very, very intentionally that this is the beginning of something important. And if it's, if it's ritualized, it underscores the importance of it, that this, this thing that we're marking is so important that we're going to take some time out of that process to commemorate the fact that we are doing this. And, And I think that is, that is something we don't, modern people don't do very well. And I think it's it's something we need to retain and and, and practice because uh, it's just it's it, kids need to know that what they're doing in school is important, and they need to know that you think it's important. Because if they don't get that, then that's when misbehavior starts. That's when you know things start. You know the wheels start falling off. If, if they know that this is a serious enterprise, and they and they know that you think it's a serious enterprise, then they'll consider it that
2: when um, the school first started and it was really not much of a school but Cheryl had in her mind an idea about what she wanted it to look like even though it was 25 30 kids it was still to her really important to set that up and I when I tell um, the history of all of this I always talk about the fact that I know that they were up until three o'clock in the morning, printing and binding books, because we were never ready for the first day of school. And so for the teachers to have what they needed in the classrooms, it was just very last minute as y'all have worked here a long time. (laughs) It's just the way we roll many times. And so I knew that she had been up all night, but still as soon as this, Students were seated with their parents in a sanctuary at that point. And she always had a bagpiper and a drummer, which we still have. But that started way back Mm -hmm. at the beginning when there weren't that many students. And they would march in and she would march in and she would give her charge, you know, her opening exhortation and her charge to the students, to the teachers, to the parents that this was an important thing for all three of these groups. And then each teacher would be called and their class dismissed to go to class with them. And it really did set the pace for the first day of school. And I knew she'd been up all night the night before, but it was still, she was up there doing that charge, making sure that the opening day of school did have the importance that she felt like it deserved. And I think homeschoolers do a good job of doing that too. It's not just, I've seen, you know, on the, my forum years and just talking to them, they'll have rituals that they have established, like going out to breakfast the first day of school or um, having a particular recipe of chocolate chip cookies that they only make the for the first day of school. So that ritual is important even in the home to mm-hmm. establish this is the beginning of your school year. It has to be formalized
3: right. in some way because formality is one of the things that indicates importance. Hmm. Informality basically is in, is is a signal that it's not that important and right. and we don't we don't get that a lot of times, right? There was a um you know, we do uh, Christmas programs, and we do, and we do these every year. That's that's the other thing. It, it, it may have seemed a little strange to people at first, but now it's like, oh, of course you do that, right? Right. And um, and we were, it was a, it was Christmas, or maybe it was a Good Friday. We have a Good Friday program, and the kids had done, uh, it had, had done this really beautiful musical program, and I was, it, it was at our what's now our second campus, Crescent Hill. And uh, it's a big, beautiful Baptist church and facility. And we, we use that to do the program. And so I was walking out to get something from my car. I may have told the story on the air before, but um, there was a, I I was, I was, I walked out of the front of the church and I was going to my car and I I heard a voice behind me, Mr. Cothran. And I turned around and it wasn't anybody I knew, but he said, um, I'm so-and-so. My son goes to the school. He said, he said, uh, he said, that program was incredible. Now I know why my, why I send my son here. And I, I that I, it really struck me that 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 he, I don't think we naturally think of that as being something important, but somebody who probably wasn't even inclined towards any kind of formality right. in a in a and in a religious service even said that that was that told me what your school is about that ritual that you you did in that case. Yes. So,
2: and sometimes it's something people don't appreciate. Right. And um, I did have I know some somebody that was in my class and the parents complained about the Christmas cantata. <laughs> they were like well it was just also serious and well see it was you know there were songs in latin and it just you know just wasn't really the good time that we were expecting it to be (laughs) and i thought you're not going to make it past this year and they did they left because it wasn't what they were looking Mm -hmm. for they weren't looking for that kind of ritual and formality Mm -hmm. in their child's education
0: i think it is important too to point out like how much effort there's a lot of effort and work that goes into these, that, that those ritual things, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about opening school ceremony and the, the amount of trying to decide, is this inside? Is it outside? Is it going to be sunny? Mm -hmm. Is it going to rain? You know, I've, I've come in on the campus mornings where we're doing opening school and we've got every, every adult on campus moving chairs from the gym to the outside because all of a sudden it was sunny (laughs) and we wanted to be outside. And, Sound you know, system, moving the moving sound, sound system. systems and, and, and blocking off driveways and, you know.
2: But once it starts. And, and that,
0: but that's, but that is because it's that important, yep. right? It's, it's that's worth right. putting all of that energy and manpower and effort and worry and all that because it does, it's a clear delineation that we we're going from
1: summer where things are loose and it to now <coughs> we're starting the school year. Mm-hmm. So Paul, at the online academy, you one could say this is maybe a weakness of doing online school mm-hmm. is that there isn't the formality, the r- ritual, but I know you and Mitchell have talked about this. What are ways that you're trying to bring kind of formality and ritual to a digital space that kind of is, it's not neutral. It's, a, it's maybe on the negative side in terms of actually like creating healthy human rhythms.
0: Yeah. Uh, I had an interesting conversation with a teacher this year that um that doesn't teach the online academy just a teacher i ended up having a conversation with and he was asking about the online academy and as we talked i was like it's fascinating if you think about it the digital space by its very nature disembodies Mm -hmm. you know and and these sorts of things these rituals we're talking about it's it's an embodiment of something and so um, we, we don't have any sort of, you know, okay, it's Monday morning of the first day of school and we can all log on and do this because honestly, our system would probably crash if we try to get all our students in on one room at one time. Um, but you know, it, that's something we talk a lot about with our teachers as far as establishing their routines early on. Um, you know, making sure that that, even when the students come into the classroom, into that digital space that, you know, the, it's time you're talking about getting all your office supplies and stuff ready. Mm-hmm. Like is, is your presentation ready? Is your chat box clear? Is, are you moving pods around or are those set when those students walk in, just to even have that sort of
2: time on task, even on day one, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is something we do differently mm-hmm. from colleges, yep. which is it literally is let's take 10 minutes and look at the syllabus. Goodbye. Yeah, you are going to have your students for 70 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, but we,
0: we, um, we do our open houses. So every class has an open house in the two or three weeks before we start school, which is just 20 minutes or so. But that's where the teacher goes through the syllabus, sets the expectations, mm-hmm. you know, lets the students know what's coming. So that way when we start on day one, it is a it's class. Cool. It's mm-hmm. school. Yeah, and it's it's
3: clearly going to be organized and structured and and the other thing I would say is I know that when I taught, <clears throat> I would always try to, particularly in something well, it really doesn't matter to the subject, logic or rhetoric or literature, is to sort of cast a vision for them of what they're gonna learn in here and mm-hmm. why it's important. Get them excited about what they're going to learn. Um And, you know, there's no formula for that, but, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's really good to get them excited. You know, they, they, they know they're going to have to face a lot of work, but if that's all they know, they don't know that they're going to read these books. they're just incredible stories about whatever it is. Um, Then, you know, I just think that makes it a lot easier for them. They, they need to have something driving them. And, and, and of course, you got to sustain that throughout the year, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're, when you're working on things, so.
1: Yeah, what you're speaking to is the the preparation level in terms of communication with students. Mm-hmm. And that can make all the difference in the way that a year goes.
0: Well, but I think, he, but also like he's talking specifically motivation, right? Motivation, why are yeah. you doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Every child starting algebra has that question. Why am I doing this? You know, and to have a, a, not only a defense ready, but to proactively say, look, this is why you're doing this. Why are we doing Latin?
3: Mm-hmm. And in literature or something, you know, I mean, <clears throat> in some of my older classes, high school classes, um, you know, there were times when it almost felt like we were co-conspirators in figuring this story out, you know, and there would be something in there and some student would make some observation. And I said, did everyone hear what he just said? I've never heard that. And all of the writings I've read on this, this particular piece, I've never heard anyone, say, you know— Surely someone else has come up with that, but that is a great insight right there. You know, that, that they are they are pioneers in a way in interpreting these things, just like, you know, some of these people who are experts at literature. Uh, they like that. They they like right. feeling. Like this is really.
2: very different, though, <clears throat> in the primary and the early grammar school, because your first day there is re- especially kindergarten. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend all day just figuring out your... Transitions. Right. <laughs> Where to put right. your backpack. Where to put your backpack. How to back walk back, into the room. Yes. How, how to establishing sit. Establishing habits. Yes. Yeah. Sitting up straight. How long straight. does it take
1: like a kindergarten through second grade class? I mean, obviously, kindergarten the longest. Mm-hmm. But those young years, how many weeks would you say it's going to take before the students really know each of the procedures?
2: Kindergarten, they, start, they continue to work on it all year long. And um, Michelle used to say she spent half the year training her parents mm. how, to be, how to be parents of school children. Sure. <laughs> it's not, she wasn't just training the students. First mm. and second grade should be less time, but it definitely the first week would be where it is set. Yeah. And then after that, it would just be reinforcement and making consistency to make sure. So you're not really going to get a lot of content taught the first week of school sure. in the primary school. And even third grade, is going to be establishing different routines because that's a huge step up to third. And then after that, if they're students that have been here for years, they're going to know the rules and they will have been dealing with the code of conduct for several years. And so it gets easier and easier. They'll know how important penmanship is and that they have to write in cursive. I'm not saying they won't attempt to test the teacher and see... Well, I had to write in cursive last year, but am I going to have to this year? Let's try it. <laughs> right. So, you really have to still be on your toes.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that we've covered a lot of the main things I was thinking about coming into this topic. Do we leave anything else on the table?
2: Just that it should be fun the first year. And I, I, this Learning's is me saying that school is fun. Well, <laughs> it should be, you know, they should go out feeling like they've got a lot to do, yeah. but also feeling excited about what the year is bringing. And part of that is because we've given them a passion for what they're going to be studying. And I do think it, you know, when you're a teacher that is teaching every subject, that it is nice to impart some kind of vision Mm -hmm. for what the year's going to look like, in addition to the vision for all of the rules they have to follow.
1: Well, that's great advice. I've enjoyed this conversation. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next
3: time.